And so we are going to be talking about and continuing to talk about what is our identity in Christ as believers, as followers of Jesus. And for all of us, our backgrounds, where we come from, our history is part of our identity. And so I just want to show a very brief pictorial history of myself, if you could just indulge me. I've been told by others that I was a fairly cute child when I was young. Oh, thank you, Sydney. <laughs> um, here's a picture of me from when I was about three or four years old. Yeah, that's me. And uh, I really like the socks and the bike. That's, that's what I get out of it. Um, but this was back in the early 80s, like 1981, 82. So some of you may think, wow, he's really old. Others of you, wow, he's really young. So maybe I'm in between some of you. Here's a picture of me from... Uh, around when I was around six years old, um, six or seven, and just a year or two after that. And then something happened. I became a teenager. And so here's a photo of me from my teenage years. <laughs> what? Why are you guys laughing? I don't understand. Strapping, handsome young man. Literally, I heard laughing and I saw... So there's two questions that come to my mind whenever I look back on this photo. One is, what happened? <laughs> two, why in the world would my parents let me go out in public with those glasses? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I show this photo unashamedly because this is part of my history. This is part of who I am. And so some of you may genuinely struggle with the way that you look. And I want to encourage you to know that it could always be worse, okay? So whenever you get tempted to think that you don't look good enough, well, at least it's not as bad as Pastor Dan, okay? The second thing is to let you guys know that I have struggled with and I can relate to anyone here who may have at times felt feelings of insignificance, feelings of inadequacy, feelings of not being good enough, feelings of not being smart enough, not good-looking enough, not cool enough, not whatever enough. And so today we're going to talk about how in Christ we are, you are, significant. You are valuable and significant because you are created in God's image and that's where your worth and value comes from. In society, we have worth and value based on so many superficial things. The way we look, the way we dress, how much money we have in our bank account, what, what job we have in our society, how smart we are, our, our high SAT scores, whatever it is, grades here in Hong Kong. Uh, we place our significance in so many other things, and yet we need to remember that in Christ, we are significant because we're not only created in God's image, but we are God's child. And so as we look at this topic today of significance, I want to look at an Old Testament passage from 2 Samuel chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to that if you wish. Otherwise, the verses will be on the screen. Second Samuel chapter 9 verse 1 says this. David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, before we move on, I, I want us to, to pause right here because this sets up the rest of this story. 
Okay, now who is David? David is King David. He's the king of the nation of Israel. Okay, and he asks, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness? Well, first of all, who is Saul? Saul was the previous king of Israel. And while Saul was king, God had rejected him as king. And secretly, the prophet Samuel anointed David to be the true king of Israel. And so this obviously made uh, King Saul very jealous, and he sought to kill David, and David David fled, and uh, David even had opportunities to kill Saul, but he didn't. And so eventually, Saul and his son Jonathan, uh, who happened to be best friends with David, were both killed. And so here's an interesting question that David asks, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness? Now, if you look at the previous chapter in 2 Samuel chapter 8, it talks about David's great victories as king. God gave him victories over several nations, several people groups, and he was, um, he was defeating other kings. And so it's, I find it interesting that in the midst of all of these victories, David pauses and wants to show kindness. Okay? He doesn't want to go and conquer more. He wants to show kindness. And he wants to show kindness to King Saul's family. Now, this is significant, no pun intended, um, because at this time in ancient Near Eastern history, whenever a king would be, would defeat another king, okay, and take over, they would completely wipe out that king's family line from the history books and, and would kill everyone off because they didn't want to be, um, they didn't want a rival heir to kind of rise up and and become a rival to that king. So not only does David not want to kill off the family line, he actually wants to show kindness. So as we continue on, it says in verse 2, Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba, and they summoned him to appear before David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. And the king asked, is there, st- is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? And Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan, and he is lame or crippled in both feet. Well, where is he? The king asked. And Ziba answered, he's at the house of Maker, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Maker, son of Amiel. And when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. And Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that... You should take notice of a dead dog like me. And then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. And you and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. And Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. And so Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. 
Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table, and he was lame in both feet. Here we find, tucked away in the Old Testament, a story that is a tremendous picture of what Christ has done for us in bringing us into his family, someone who is people like us who are insignificant, who are sinners, being brought into a household of Christ. And what I want to do this morning is to examine this idea of uh, significance and who we are, how we are significant in Christ. I want to look at the two main characters, so to speak, in this story. And the first is, who is this guy, Mephibosheth? And looking at who he is. About the only thing that he has going for him is he's the king's, David's, um, he's the son of King David's best friend, Jonathan. Everything else he doesn't have going for him. Okay, because, because he's the son of Jonathan means he's the grandson of the king's arch enemy, who is Saul. And also we find out that he's crippled or lame in both feet. And we read earlier in Second uh, Samuel chapter 4, that what had happened was how he became crippled was when news came back to the household that, that Saul and Jonathan had died in the battlefield, the nurse who was taking care of Mephibosheth was in a hurry to, to pack up everything to get him out of there. And the reason was was because they were fearful that, that the army would come and kill off all of the children and grandchildren. And so she was in such a hurry that she stumbled and fell, and Mephibosheth fell out of her arms, landed, and became crippled. And you can just imagine, at such a young age, this boy Mephibosheth, growing up, seeing all of his peers and all of his fellow children running around, laughing, playing, jumping, skipping, climbing, and here he is just sitting and having to watch and not partake in any of the activities that his friend's are doing. And more than that, on the same day that he loses function of both his legs, he becomes an orphan, where his father is killed, and uh, scholars assume that he must have eventually lived with his mother's family. Um, And so basically, he would have been living in hiding for most of his life, out of fear for his life. And it's interesting what he calls himself when he is in the king's presence. He bows down and when the king says, I want to take you into my family and I will let you eat at my table. And he says, who am I that you would take notice of such a a dead dog? So he considers himself to be a dead dog. And I think that's a metaphor for us of how often we feel like a dead dog. We feel at times where we're not good enough. We're not significant enough. There's nothing special about me. And we also learn that he has a young son of his own named Micah. And here he is, himself an orphan, and he's lost all of his royal inheritance. And he has nothing to give his son either. And so I think in summary, we can say that Mephibosheth is someone who is physically and maybe emotionally disabled. He has no inheritance that he's to receive or anything to give to his own son. And obviously, he would be someone who had no sense of significance. 
And then we have King David, who scholars call a type of Christ. And that just means that he's someone in the Old Testament who is a picture of what Christ is for us. And we know that King David is someone who's faithful to his promises, just like God is faithful to his promises to us. The reason why he wanted to show kindness to Saul's family is because when Saul and David's faction were at war, Jonathan secretly met with David and pleaded with him and said, you need to promise me, give a covenant that you will not destroy our family line, please. And so David did that. He, he made a covenant. And so he didn't, re- he didn't forget that. And he was faithful to his promise. And that was fulfilled in Mephibosheth. Also, King David is one who desires to show kindness even to those who haven't earned it or deserve it. At this time, logic would have said, you don't show kindness to Saul's heir, a rival king's heir. You need to kill him. Kill off everyone. And so he does something completely opposite of what his culture at the time would have said was right. Mephibosheth did nothing to deserve to be sitting at the king's table, and yet David wanted to do that out of his own graciousness and kindness. And that's what God does for us, right? He shows kindness to us even though we don't earn it or deserve it. And he welcomes the broken and seemingly insignificant into his family. And more than that, he treats a so-called outcast just like one of his own sons. And when we come to know Christ, we are seated with Christ as one of God's sons or daughters. And finally, something that just blows me away is that he lets Mephibosheth, a rival king's heir, to eat at the king's table. It mentions that more than once in in this short passage. And I believe whenever God says something in his word, we, we should listen. It's significant enough to be in the Bible. But when God says something repeats it two times or more, I believe it's, it's very significant for us to understand. And just like today, you know, not just anyone can eat at the table of or dine with pre- the president of the United States or the president of China or the chief executive of Hong Kong, right? You have to be someone of utmost importance and significance to have that right to do that. And so for Mephibosheth, this lame, crippled young man who was living in hiding, who was probably poor himself and was a rival king's heir, goes from this dead dog cripple who has no significance to dining just like one of the king's sons at the king's table. And as we look at this, I think it's so powerful. And the main point that... I think we can take from this passage is that Mephibosheth, by the kindness and grace of King David, moves from being an orphan to a son, a dead dog to a special member of the family, and an insignificant cripple to a significant son of the king. And I think whenever we read scripture, we should, we should think about how does that impact me? And so I want us to personalize this, to think about, as followers of Jesus, who are we in Christ? And I want you to read this, not out loud, but on your own. And I want you to place, instead of Mephibosheth's name, place your name there. 
And so if I was reading this, I would say, I, Dan Tupps, by the kindness and grace of Christ, am no longer an orphan, but a son. I'm no longer a dead dog, but a special member of God's family. I'm no longer an insignificant sinner, but a significant son of the king. If we're in Christ, if you're in Christ, you are a significant son or daughter of the king. That's amazing, isn't it? We don't deserve that. And yet, because of Christ's love for us, he has allowed us to be part of his family. And so I think that there are two ways that this can apply to each and every one of us. And the first is how this affects the way we view ourselves. So many of us, I think, have struggles with low self-esteem, so to speak. Or in society, we feel that we're not good enough or we're mistreated. It's unfortunate that even here in today's world, there is still discrimination and prejudice and racism. And even in Hong Kong, it's sad to say that this still happens. And some of you here today may have faced that. And I don't want to diminish the hurt and pain that that can, that can give each and every one of us. Some of you have struggled with academics. And in Hong Kong, whew, that's not fun. Okay, and, and I know students, I was a youth pastor for almost 10 years here in Hong Kong, and I know how, how much and how deeply students can be affected if they can't measure up academically. Some of you may uh, struggle in your career, and you feel like your, your, your boss isn't treating you with respect and dignity, and you feel like you're working so hard and you're just not good enough. We all have instances in our lives, maybe as a parent, you just feel like I'm not as good a parent as I should be. And we have so many of these feelings and thoughts, and we need to continually be reminded that that's not our identity. If we're a follower of Jesus, our identity is that we are a significant son or daughter of the king who loves us more than anyone else can And so I think it's so important for you to hear this and to understand that God loves you because you are created in his image. It doesn't matter what anyone else says. It doesn't matter what society says. You are significant. And I think it's sad that some of you may be hearing that for the first time today. But I hope that you will continually hear that from us and from each other at this church as we support one another. And that moves on, moves me to the second way that I think this impacts us, and that is how we view one another. I want you right now to just look around at the people in this hall. Look at everyone. Look at people in the eye. Look at who who people are, regardless of their race, their gender, their age. Okay, just look around. Every person you see here today is significant. Every person here. Unfortunately, some of us may have struggled with looking down on others. And this truth today that we all are significant should really impact the way we view and the way we treat other people. 
I think it is a sad commentary in the world we live in today with all of the so-called knowledge we have, the globalization we have, and how we're so-called civilized. And yet even today in most parts of the world, not all life is considered significant. There is some life that society says is not as significant as others. I remember the, the, fir- the first day that we found out Gita was pregnant, we were so happy. But we needed to go to the doctor just to verify because there can be false positives. And so we went to the doctor and we were so excited to just confirm if we were going to have a baby or not. And this was around three years ago today, around this time, just three years ago. And so I still remember sitting in the doctor's office and they did the ultrasound and you could see this little tiny creature that was growing inside my wife and you could hear the, the heartbeat, and just hearing that and seeing that just was, it just blew me away. And I was so happy, almost to the point of tears. And we were just so excited that this new life, God was creating new life for us. And it was just so uh, impacting for me. It was so amazing, so emotional. And so the doctor said, okay, congratulations. And uh, then she went on to some of the next steps of when we would come back and what would the procedures would be to, you know, move the process along. And, and before we left, she said, now, do you want to get a certain test done? And she used a certain technical me- medical term. And I'm like, what is that test? And she said, well, basically it tests for Down syndrome. I was like, oh. And I looked at my wife and I said, well, I think that we'll be okay with whatever Whatever baby that God gives us, we will love him or her no matter what. And she said, okay, but are you sure you don't want to take this test? I'm like, well, no. Do most people take the test? She's like, well, most of my patients take it. And I was like, okay. And then I was curious because I wanted her to just come out and say it. But I said, well, why do they want to have this test? Just so they can mentally prepare if they're going to have a a mentally... uh, handicapped child or a child of special needs or what? And she said, well, no, it's so parents can choose whether or not they want to terminate the pregnancy. And here I am in the joy of the moment. It's so excited that a new life is created and we're talking about how we can potentially kill it. Now, I know that for for many people, this topic uh, can be difficult. Um, But when I heard that as a parent, a, a new parent for the first time, it broke my heart because I realized this is a sad commentary on society that certain life is not seen as significant as others. And in some parts of the world, certain genders are not seen as, as important as others. And this hits home to me because I have a brother who I guess is what you would call special needs. My brother's name is John. He's right next to me in this family photo from this past summer. And if you met my brother John, he would you would never guess that he was so-called special needs or mentally handicapped or anything. Um, he has a very mild disorder of something. My parents don't even know. Um, but he grew up going to, to uh, special ed, special education classes. He's a little bit slow socially. Um, and you'll notice that over time, if you got to know him, that, okay, yeah, he's a little different. Um, 
he acts a little different and, and sometimes gets in bad moods. And so he's someone who is what we would call special needs or, or mentally handicapped. And so I've grown up my whole life with a brother who, if my parents would have taken a test he, and weren't Christians, might not even be here just because he is so-called insignificant. So this hits home for me. And, and, and my brother, I love him so much, but uh, I remember growing up and you know, even I would buy into the lies sometimes, and I would treat my brother in inappropriate ways because my friends would make fun of him, or, or schoolmates at school would make fun of him. But my brother is significant. Why? Because he is created in God's image, and he is God's child. I also grow, grew up surrounded by people who were special needs or mentally handicapped. I helped out at Special Olympics from since I was a young child. Um, I was in a bowling league with uh, special needs people. And I even, I even coached basketball when I was in high school. And for five years, I worked closely with people who had very severe disabilities, autism, um, epileptics, um, people with Down syndrome, and most of them were much, much worse than my brother. So for me, this topic is very personal. Now, for some of you, you may think, well, that's nice, Dan, and we love your brother too. But you may think that, well, I don't really interact with special needs people or mentally handicapped people myself. If you go to AIC regularly then that is not true. There is someone here who has special needs. Now, some of you may know the family, uh, Benson and Frida and their daughter, Renee. Uh, Renee has epilepsy, and she has special needs. And they've been attending this church for a long time. And I thought that today, as we talk about this topic of significance, it would be great to hear from one of our own church members. What is it like to have someone as your child that society says is not significant? And I, I wanted him to share. Now, he was not able to be here today, so I videotaped um, him to be able to share with us. So in a moment, we're going to watch a, a short video clip. And as we watch, I want you to listen uh, I want you to hear, and I know the audio quality may not be the best, but just listen and hear from him as one of our fellow brothers in Christ. What is it like to have someone in your family with special needs? He's going to share about the positives, the challenges, and what he wants us to know as a church family. So let's take a moment to listen to hear what Benson has to share with us today. Benson, I know that you have a special needs child. Uh, tell us, what is it like to have a special needs child and share both the positives and the challenges? Okay. My special needs child is Renee. Um, she's uh, epileptic. Uh, she has uh, epilepsy since she was uh, six months old. It means she has a lot of seizures. I think uh, in the beginning, uh, I didn't really know, Frida, I really know what what's it like and why we have uh, a special needs kid and then it took a while for us to, to realize that actually um, we learned so much through Renate 
um, because actually Rene has teach me, um, have taught me to be um, a more patient person and um, to show more love to the people around um, around me. And also, uh, I used to be um, a businessman, and you know, as a businessman, um, you what you care about is your client profit. And then, because I have a specially child, you know, it starts more sensitive about the specially children, and also about more care about the needed and the, the weak people. And um, looking after special kids, uh, the demands a lot of um, patients, and I'm not a patient man. That's one thing I, I'm learning. And also, I think I got used Rene to to realize that I have some potential that I used to think used to think uh, well, I wasn't good at it. And um, I thought I was only good at design, but eventually God put me in academics and, and put a group of people for me to care about is the students. So I've been, um, been teaching about um, this group of students in university for eight years now. This is the positive thing. I think um, the challenge is uh, two words, is uh, uh, isolations and discriminations. Because uh, as a specialist child, um, she she has a disability in uh, what emotional, spiritual, and also physically. And uh, not many people know her, just looking at her. But um, she doesn't know how to make friends. And maybe uh, a lot of normal kids, they don't know her and find her that she's behaving. Certainly it's uh, quite weird or funny. So sometimes uh, they don't seem to be friends with her. So, and also a lot of social activities in, the, in Hong Kong society, they don't open up. Uh, for specially kids. So um, the loneliest time for Rene is the uh, summer holiday and also in the longer holidays. So um, in summer holiday, usually I play with her in the morning and um, she like playing on her own. And um, that's the, I think, the isolation she has. But the discrimination is just, I just mentioned about um, because um, in, uh, in the social environment, the people look at her, think she's funny, and don't seem to make friends with her. And some of the parents, um, my, my never uh, teach the kids how to uh, deal with or how to cope with a normal, uh, special kid. That's why, that's the reason why I said that I mentioned about discrimination, about received. Yeah. And Benson, what would you want your brothers and sisters in Christ at, at church to know regarding special needs individuals. Okay, um, what happened if uh, my brother and sister have a special kid? She's the only one in the family. I think as a Christian brother and sister, they of course they would like their brother and sister to care about my kid and would teach their children to mingle, to play with grenade. And then I think that that's what I'm hoping too. Uh, but in these last uh, 10 years, uh, I've been very quiet at church because uh, I don't only get isolation and uh, discrimination from outside, but I have some experience uh, also at church. So we become a, a background figure at church. So she used to sit in front and when, when she grew up now and she make a lot of funny noise and that's why she at the back. Sometimes we receive some strange um, ways of people looking at us, looking at our kids. And, um, but now I try to bring Rene to a children's church and Sunday school. I hope that my brothers, my brother and sisters, um, will teach the kids to, to, to be friends with Rene. So maybe they will invite Rene for, for, for gathering in the summer holidays and holiday. But in the past case, I think we have some good brothers and sisters and they invite us for 
uh, barbecue. Even some people say, come for, uh, come for swimming with our kids. I was so happy already. Um, but um, I, we don't get uh, often this kind of uh, invitation. That's a hope in the future we will get more and um, they, they would like to get to know Rene more and hope the church will be a more loving church just not knowing people from the surface and knowing them bring each other's burdens underneath too. Okay. I asked Benson to share just because this is just one opportunity we have as a church body to show love to someone who maybe society doesn't see or say is significant. As a church, we want to create a culture that we all understand and realize that each and every one of us are significant. We should take ownership of that, that if we are in Christ, we are significant. We are loved by the King. We're his son or daughter. And our worth and value doesn't come from earthly things, but from our Heavenly Father who declares us to be significant. And that should impact how we view and treat others. And so there are so many opportunities that we have. You will interact at this church with people from different cultural backgrounds, different ethnicities, different economic statuses, um, different countries, different ages. And we want to cultivate an environment to where we treat each other with the honor, dignity, and respect that we should as brothers and sisters in Christ. And you know what? Even in our communities... There may be people who don't know Christ, and yet they're still significant because they're created in God's image just like you and I are. And so we should be a light to the world to be different, to say even though society says certain people are significant and aren't, that we see everyone as significant. We should be a lighthouse for this community in Wampo and in Hong Kong. And so may we be the church that God wants us to be, to show and demonstrate that all people are significant in him. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this story in 2 Samuel 9 about how David treated Mephibosheth with significance. Lord, it was undeserving. It was not warranted, but it was out of David's graciousness and kindness. Lord, in the same way, it's a reminder of how you view us to be significant. Even though we have sinned, we have fallen short, we have done things that aren't right, and we have so many flaws of our own, you love us and see us as significant in you because you created us, and those of us who have placed our faith in you are your son or daughter. God, I pray that we would embrace this truth, that we would, we would shun the lies that we hold about ourselves and about others, and that we would treat others with respect and dignity because they are significant as well. So I pray you would work in us and through us for your kingdom and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.